0: The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! (music) Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, a trip back in Pontiac engine history splitting V8s in half and building overhead cam engines, electric vehicle fire meets an electric fire truck, plus this week's special guest, automotive photojournalist and swap meet entrepreneur Brad Ocock, plus lots more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it into overdrive. Welcome in folks, this is Bud Hughes, a resident car Timmy Basquale, a fullster of Tootie Stars. How you doing, Tim? I'm good, Bud. How are you? Second episode of Bud's Garage Overdrive. I'm excited. Oh, me too. All right. Uh, I would like to start by noting that you and I have both confessed on the radio show to being very good grinders because of our welding skills. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can MIG weld a little bit. I can stick weld pretty good and, mm-hmm. and MIG weld. Uh, TIG weld, I don't have a machine to practice with. And I, if, no, if, me either. If I did, I could probably get the hang of it because I used to braze stuff and that back mm. in the day. Oh, yeah. But I do know a place where we could correct our welding skills or you could learn brand
1: new ones and, and get yourself w- certified. That would be uh, Lanier Technical College. Absolutely. And they have a welding program there. That will teach you welding theory, different types of metals, different types of welding materials, and get you ready to go out there either making the big bucks as a welder, or if you just want it for your own knowledge when you're working in your garage or whatever you're doing. Yeah, you could zero in on, on the, the stuff that interests you,
0: but if you get a if you get a well-rounded uh, you know look at what's going on in construction. And the different materials that are being used, you find you can kind of follow the money trail, as to what skills get you what amount of money. Right. And uh, that gets you set up to you know get certified with the American Welding Society uh, as you get into your career. And certifications, like everything else in industry, are a big deal. You know, welding is a very satisfying hobby as well. And we yeah, and we have such a shortage of welders uh, throughout right. the United States in all different types of trades. So this is one of those skills you put in your back pocket and go to another part of the country and you're still a welder. Heck yeah. Yeah. So check out the welding and joining program at Lanier technical college, linear technical Okay. I was uh, browsing the internet as I always do for, for stuff to talk about here. And there's these characters, they're called garage 54 and they're, mm-hmm. they're on YouTube or something. I don't know, but they cut a four cylinder engine in half. This is a Russian garage. And then put it back together and it actually ran, it had 32 horsepower, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But while I was reading this, I thought, you know, back in the day, my uncle had a four cylinder Pontiac Mm -hmm. that was half of a V8. I thought, now, you know, sometimes you you dream this stuff or whatever, but I remember he had the car too. It wasn't the greatest running car or anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a four cylinder. So I did some search. And this four-cylinder engine was actually called the Trophy 4 Pontiac yeah. engine, or the uh, Indianapolis engine. It was based on a 389. It was a brainchild of uh, John DeLorean, and uh, they, they did it in, uh, the one I saw was 1963. It says it, uh, it was Tempest in 1961. Yeah, 1961. It was a 389, mm. and uh, it was a 45-degree inclined four-cylinder created from the right bank of the 389 either came with a single single barrel carburetor or a four barrel carburetor the four barrel carburetor sounds rather jazzy rather sporty yeah the single barrel carburetor is one my uncle got Uh and it was a rough it was a rough idling engine I I guess it was uh, but back in the day
1: it it had some power in the engine bay, it stood straight up. It wasn't slanted because it was the right bank. Was it slanted, it like was, a Slant 6? It, it,
0: it was slanted, yeah. Okay. Because they used this, the same engine mounts and stuff as the v 8 Okay, so... <laughs> it, it was actually slanted.
1: I bet that was weird looking. Yeah. I, I don't recall seeing one of those. And, I mean, in the late 60s, I was pumping gas. Maybe they were all gone by then. Well, the 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 air cleaner and the
0: snorkel and everything kind of covers up the left side of the engine uh-huh. so you don't you don't notice. you don't it really see it doesn't stick right out now of I remember
1: yet. the the Pontiac what was that uh they had an overhead cam six cylinder in the late 60s in the late 60s well, yeah yeah was, you're right you're right a, they uh, did four barrel yeah it was a six
0: it was a six cylinder straight six
1: uh-huh yeah I do remember that it was called the Sprint six and it was available from Pontiac from 1966 until 1969 and it was available with either a single-barrel carburetor or a four-barrel, a, a, a quadrajet, Quadri- a Rochester
0: jet And the unique thing about it was the overhead cam was actually mounted in the valve cover, if you will. Right. And, uh, and you, not the only journals that. and stuff were in the valve cover. It was a cast valve cover on a cast iron block. So it was aluminum valve cover, cast iron block. And
1: the timing was controlled by... A timing belt, which was much quieter. And they say that was it was a great engine. It was just the timing was bad. No pun to, intended. Yeah. To introduce it at that time, if they'd have waited just a couple of more years. Because those were still the performance car years. Right. So people wanted performance. But for a six-cylinder engine, it had 230 horsepower. I mean, it wasn't a slouch. But it was quiet. Yeah, it you know, was as, quiet, As right. opposed
0: to the push engines. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know the europeans picked up
1: on it yeah they did and uh you know started started building that type of stuff Mm -hmm. and uh you know and there you go one thing led to another and then peugeot was back in the race again yeah Uh, of all things who thought (laughs) the uh the thing
0: about an overhead cam engine you know you you're not trying to change direction with a lot of things on an overhead cam engine obviously your pistons are changing direction every time they go up and down Mm -hmm. but you're not trying to convert a push rod upward motion into a downward motion right. you know you, you, you've you've got everything that's reciprocating already with an overhead cam engine mm-hmm. and it it means less not necessarily less moving parts because in some cases you've got more change or more belts or whatever um but everything is kind of working in sync with each other as far as all going the same direction at the one time okay you know it's like circling the wagons mm-hmm. you know and i the funniest cartoon i ever saw when i was a kid was in a boy's life magazine and it shows, it shows this wagon, you know, Conestoga wagon in between all the Indians. And uh, the Indians' feathers are all tattered and broken. And, and the chief has stopped, stopped them and said, all right, now are we going to circle from the right or from the left? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you got oh, to imagine the yeah. visual. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., I did not realize this, between 150,000 and 200,000 vehicles catch fire every mm-hmm. year. And the issue with an electric vehicle is once you put the fire out, it may come back. It may come back. A California highway started burning, you know, a fire that caught, an electric vehicle that caught fire on a California highway started burning again at the tow yard Mm -hmm. five days later after it was towed
1: there. Isn't that amazing? They say, all it takes is a little bit of moisture and a, a broken open battery pack underneath the car somewhere because of this magic called thermal runaway thermal runaway isn't that a... where they heat
0: up and they just get mm-hmm. keep getting hotter and hotter mm-hmm. not. this is what took uh laptops and stuff for a while off of planes right because of the batteries and stuff in them they'd, they'd overheat
1: uh-huh. and and go into the thermal runaway it's it's the it's the virtual version of oily rags piled up in a corner kind of spontaneous combustion, combustion yeah yeah uh it takes about 500 to 1,000
0: gallons of water to put out your typical car fire, mm-hmm. okay, because you're drowning out whatever it might be, gasoline or oil or whatever, once it catches fire. Right. One truckload, all right, is, is five thousand uh, 500 to 1,000 gallons. Mm-hmm. The last big fire they had with one of these, we were talking about it, where the the car exploded basically, and the the batteries went everywhere. And, uh, oh and right, I remember that. Yeah. It took twenty eight thousand gallons of water to put that fire out. That's a lot on. of water. You can't get it with one truck. Right. You can't get it unless you can shuttle the water. You can't get it unless you your car catches on fire in front of a fire hydrant. Uh, exactly. Okay. It would it'd be the best thing to do. But anyway, or the, the dog you know, pound. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking. All right. Never mind. We've talked about magic blankets that you could throw over Mm -hmm. these fires in a perfect scenario out in a, you know, a parking lot that was perfectly level and you had enough bodies. You might be able to drag a blanket over this. You still got to get the person out of the car.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because people
0: get trapped in these cars. And it it happened in, uh, was it California? Um, I'm looking here for the I can't remember what yeah, it was. Yeah, the, was the people burned up burned inside in the, car. the car, And they, right. and they, couldn't, they get, couldn't get they out. couldn't get the fire out. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't get the doors open, right. Because they're electric. Yeah. And the people burned up in the car because they couldn't
1: extinguish the flames. I do not Terrible want to go thing. that way.
0: No. So they're they're going to start training for it. Well, but interesting they're thing they say for uh, it.
1: right now there are thirty-one thousand electric vehicles registered in Georgia, but they expect that to increase exponentially over the coming years because that's going to be all that is available to buy at some point well yeah I I guess
0: but as we go into the new year you and I have got so many articles on new batteries and technologies that's Mm. coming around and again the technology is not coming from the car manufacturers no
1: it's coming from you know the the technology industry technology industry Uh, and the battery manufacturers themselves in vancouver canada did
0: you read what the canucks
1: oh, did here oh my god this was so this is so funny about the the fire department spending three hundred thousand more than a diesel fire truck cost to yep. buy this electric yep. fire truck yeah that pumps less water and needs a diesel extender engine to make it useful on the scene of a fire now just my take on this Go ahead. Is don't, some, don't sugarcoat it. Some drunken fire official's brother-in-law sold his first electric fire truck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, that's just a, well, a wild guess. You know guess. what occurred
0: to me is, you know, the thing holds, what does what say, 5,000 gallons of water? Yeah. And um, it, takes, it takes like 30,000 to put an electric car fire out? Right. So if the electric truck catch, catches on fire... They're in, they're in deep It, it doesn't yeah. have enough
1: water to put out its own fire. Put out <laughs> its own
0: fire. And it certainly can't put out a car fire, electric crazy. car fire.
1: That's I don't know. Uh, I don't know what
0: they're thinking. Well, today's special guest on Bud's Garage Overdrive uh, is actually responsible for this whole thing. <laughs> He's the guy that said to me, uh, we've gotten so much requests from our, our newsletter for you guys to have a longer show, and it wouldn't fit into what we were doing at the radio station. So somewhere in the conversation, it came up, well, why don't you guys do a podcast? And so here we are, and here he is. That would be Brad Ocock, and we're going to talk a little bit about Brad. You don't know Brad, maybe as a household name, but if you're listening to this program, this you have, to you've seen his photograph, photographs, and you've seen his writing, you've read his articles, uh, you've seen his work in publications, automotive publications, forever, and he's with us today. He's been a, a guest on the radio show a lot, and uh, it's, it's just great to have you. Since you're responsible, it's great to have you here today, Matt. It's really good to be here. I'm glad you guys are doing this. All right. We need to know, Tim and I, uh, is, this is one of the things that we grilled ourselves on the first podcast about. Where the heck did the, the automotive bug bite you? Uh, Not
2: specifically where, but when? <laughs> well, I started uh, I started building Legos when I was a little kid, like real little. See? Rector uh-huh. sets, Legos. Legos. There yeah, we go. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Building stuff. And uh, my dad was an was a industrial engineer. He worked for American Motors, and he was certain that I was going to become an engineer. Um, you know, I didn't build a lot of cars with Legos. But then uh, when I was eight years old, living in Burlington, Wisconsin, um, his half-brother called him up one day and said, hey, I'm going to be racing at Great Lakes Dragway this weekend. I'll leave you tickets at the gate. Cool. And we went, it was summer, and uh, that was it. I remember, I remember every detail of that entire day.
0: That's amazing. Now, I don't know, Tim, you worked in the steel mills, Uh and I was, you know, I was working at a gas station and, you know, playing music and whatever, but it's, it's funny you bring up your dad wanting, to be an, wanting you to be an engineer. Now, he was an engineer. My, my, my father was a plant operations engineer, but he didn't have an engineering degree. But he wanted to make sure that I got an engineering degree, and I was terrible at math. Oh, I, I was horrible at math. And it I, turns could do, out, I could
2: use my hands, but yeah. beyond that. <laughs> well, yeah, and my dad, was, my dad was an engineer, and then later on he got a master's in, in finance. So he ran the, the payroll and timekeeping for the Jeep plant in Toledo. So that side of his brain was very mathematical. It turns out that building with Legos wasn't engineering. It was creative. Right. So creative mindset and the, the math mindset, we he butted heads up a whole lot.
0: Now, did he, did he tinker with cars or anything?
2: No, no. In fact, uh, from 12 on, I was the one that did all the, the oil changes and the family cars and stuff. Now,
0: did you have, you know, we all have the crazy uncle. I'm, in fact, I'm one now. Uh, you know, that worked on cars or taught you things or mentored you? Where no. did you where'd you get into
2: that? No. Uh, I went and I spent the day at the drag strip, and, and it turned out to be 1978. And I figured that out just a couple of years ago. And uh, after that, my mom, in fact, has said that after that day, I was never the same. So it was, I started uh, building model cars. And when I was 13, I got a subscription to Hot Rod. And, and when I got into college, I figured out that I could write and was going to be a newspaper guy and i took a class called magazine article writing and uh, dr paul manny said you know this is a 300 level class by the time you get here you know how to write so i'm going to teach you how to sell it and i was like oh really and wow freelanced a couple of magazine articles and here i am
1: well wow, that's awesome man it
2: was a lot of fun so
1: when you were growing up your your dad worked for amc at yeah. the Jeep plant were <laughs> you strictly an amc family <laughs>
2: No, uh, no well, gremlins in the driveway. Uh, well, we had a Jeep Wagoneer, and oh, yeah. we had a couple of Eagles at some point. My dad, the Eagle, whatever happened the Eagle to the Eagle? Wagon, that was they were so great. way ahead of us. Well, you
1: you'll be saying the same thing about Dodge ten years yeah. from now. Oh, what happened? Yeah. It got absorbed into yeah. Chrysler and yeah disappeared.
2: Yeah, Plymouth is gone and yeah right. so Yeah, we uh, so yeah, and then uh, when they you know joined with Renault, we ended up with a Lacar. So we had a little oh, granola car, wow. and that was oh, my dad's commuter. Did. Oh, man, we packed. It was a, I guess it was a five-speed, and it had, a, had the little sunroof top that, that folded back. And my mm-hmm. dad needed that because he was kind of tall, and uh, it gave you just an extra inch of headroom. So that was his go-to-work car. car. I'd forgotten
0: about those things. Oh, yeah. yeah,
2: I will never forget about them because we used to drive from Brighton, Michigan, because by then we lived in Brighton, and we would drive back to Milwaukee, Wisconsin to visit family at least once a month and we would pack the three of us boys into the back seat of the Le car my mom and dad oh. and
1: sometimes the dog uh-huh so <laughs> when we bought the uh, renault alliance car of the year that was the beginning of the end of my <laughs> first <Your marriage>.
2: year <laughs> <laughs> and we had one of those in our in our uh, driveway for a while too i can't remember why so so um, you went to, you
0: went to school you learned writing yep and you sold your first article to who
2: to uh, chevy high performance magazine Chevy High. My first two articles, actually.
0: So, what? Who were some of the other magazines you wrote for?
2: Um, at that point, it was Chevy High, and then uh, then I graduated from college and substitute taught, and kind of bounced around. So I substitute taught for a while, and then I had another job installing industrial equipment. What did you substitute teach? Uh, well, everything. But actually, the very first day, this is funny. The very first day that I'd ever done it, I walked in and the woman you know they were just dying for subs and uh the woman in the office goes oh this is great you're gonna you know do really well and um, who are you substitute teaching for what class and i said well it was the automotive shop class which was just the luck of the draw and her face just went almost pale and she goes oh i am so sorry they should not have given you this class for your first assignment it's it's not going to be this bad going forward i promise and i was like great so uh, I walked in and introduced myself to all of them, and the, the uh, shop instructor, you know, had left assignments and stuff, so I told him who I was, and I had a, I brought in a stack of hot rod magazines just because I always had them with me. And because uh, as a substitute teacher, you don't do anything but sit there and babysit, so I was gonna read car magazines. Huh. Uh, I, I told all <laughs> the guys, I said, at the end of the day, if uh, you know you get all your work done, I got a stack of car magazines up here, you're more than welcome to flip through them. And uh, from that point on, I was their go-to guy for the auto shop stuff.
0: Did they know at that point in time, did you did you take the time to tell them that you actually wrote some of the articles in some of those magazines?
2: I don't remember and I'd only had two articles out by that point. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next year I interviewed with, uh, well later that year I interviewed with Hot Rod and uh, also Four Wheel and Off Road and I'd gotten a couple other assignments from Hot Rod. I, I met Rob Canan up in Michigan and shot a fastest streetcar race with him and Um, did a couple other things and then uh, I hadn't really had too much published by then and then uh, with the interviews the the company got sold so there was a hiring freeze so then I just started um, somehow I ended up answering um, tech articles remember back when they had the tech you know readers would write in for questions and yeah, answers. Yeah, who's the guy
0: that used to do all that McFarland?
2: Marlon Davis. Marlon Davis, was the, was yeah. Was the famous guy that did that. Yeah, and, Marlon
0: Davis. Now, did you work with Freiberger and some of those people Well Freiburger Well,
2: Freiberger was the one who uh, in, who interviewed me for Four Wheel and Off-Road. Okay. So, and, uh, yeah, and, and he was the editor for Four Wheel and Off-Road, and he sent me a huge pile of uh, reader questions. So then I had to, you know, that was, at, by that point I was working for the plastic, installation company that we were installing motor drives for injection molding yeah. so we would travel all over the midwest so in my hotel at night i had a laptop and i would bang out answers to the tech questions and basically that was i would choose which questions and then she's like the ann landers of the automotive world kind of yeah only uh the technical unlike, ann landers yes yeah. unlike yeah. ann landers mm-hmm. i actually called people up who knew what they were talking about and said hey i've got This guy needs to know this question. What would you do? So I would, you know, and I went through, I'd I'd go through the magazine and I'd find advertisers in the magazine. I would call them up and then I'd get their opinions on, you know, how to answer this question. So I did that for a few times and then uh, uh, I I should back up once. The way that, that all of, the way that I met Freiberger and Canan from Hot Rod. So after the first two articles in Chevy High, I was, you know, working my way through college and I worked in restaurants, so I was, if I wasn't in class or on my way to class, I was at the restaurant working split shifts or whatever. I was probably working 60 or 70 hours a week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I never got time to go to car shows. In fact, my whole high school and college career, well, during college, and I was on the seven-year plan, I think, um, I never went to a car show, the whole time in college. When I figured out that I was gonna write for car magazines, I printed up a bunch of resumes and drove to the good guys show in indianapolis from toledo in the morning because i had a night shift at the restaurant and i looked for every every guy that i figured was a magazine guy based off of his car guy his magazine t-shirt and if he had a professional camera around his neck and i walked up introduced myself to i don't know five or six guys there was jeff smith and um gray baskerville oh wow and, and that was the only time I ever met Baskerville. Mm. But uh, I just I walked up and I said, hi, my name's Brad. I handed him a resume. And I said, and I want your job. And, and that's how I ended up getting called by Freiberger and Canan to go do the stuff up in Martin, Michigan for the fastest streetcar race.
1: Cool. Yeah, so what and, kind of cars were you driving in those days <laughs> when you're a young, broke student trying to figure out how to you know, get in around in the world?
2: I bought my grandmother's 72 Buick Centurion. Oh, yeah. It was huge. Um, It had 18,000 miles on it when I got it, and I did what kids do with low mileage cars with big engines. Mm -hmm. Um, Street raced the hell out of it. And and surprisingly won a lot of street races against a lot of cars that I shouldn't have. Cherry bombed it? Uh, No, I got Walker turbo mufflers on it.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That that was a class. It was,
2: yeah. (laughs) I know pioneer super tuner radio and that was about it and of course i uh took off the perfectly functioning air compressor um because that saved weight and horsepower because horsepower, yeah. saving weight on a nine thousand 72 buick was important oh yeah. Yeah. yeah right
1: right hey 25 pounds is 25 <laughs> exactly. pounds hey, right. exactly Hey,
2: you could live in the thing you could yes <laughs> the trunk slept six comfortably and uh, and uh yeah and the black vinyl interior i was really glad when summer came around i didn't mm-hmm. have that ac ac there. working yeah yeah
0: all right. So I, when I ran into you, uh, you, you talk about having a camera hanging around. When I ran into you, you were working for Year One. And I say mm-hmm. ran into you. You, we, we hooked up through the people at Year One, and you used to come and help interview students that were going into the motorsports program that I was teaching at. The time. Yeah. So, what led? How did you get from the magazine writing? To hanging out with Chip Foose and the people at Year One and all that, how did that morph into
2: well the uh, modern times? There was with the hiring freeze at Peterson Publishing, which owned Hot Rod and all the other big, you know, Car Craft and Rod and Custom and everything, and 4 and off-road. Um, the guys down at Dobbs Publishing in Florida, one of them used to work with the guys at Peterson. He called those guys and said, "Hey, does." anybody know anybody who's looking for a job and I said well actually yeah we know this guy that we can't hire because there's a hiring freeze Hmm. so I honestly didn't know much about Mopars um they flew me down to Florida in the winter so when they uh, I flew into Tampa and you know flew into Tampa from From Ohio Ohio okay yeah so it was good and cold in Ohio and i flew into tampa and it was like wow if i'm gonna be in florida i'm gonna get a rental car that's got you know they had a rental car set up for me in a hotel and everything and uh so looking back at this it was kind of nuts um they had some rental car for me i don't remember what it was but it was florida and i was like in florida i'm gonna get a convertible so i upgraded to a convertible on my dime oh and then showed up in the parking lot for my interview with a convertible and the guys saw it and they're like wow we got you a convertible like no i upgraded and uh, so then they, you know, asked me about, you know, my history and what I knew about cars and, and, uh, and I told them point blank, I said, I, I know Dodge Challengers. I know the Hemi, I know 446 packs. I know Plum Crazy. And that's really about all I know about Mopars, but I love cars. I have my whole life and I will learn everything that there is to learn about Mopars. And they gave me a job as a, um, first they hired me as managing editor and within about six months, I moved into tech editor. And then within a couple of years, uh, I became editor. And then, yeah, so then I was the editor of Mopar Muscle. And then we got bought a couple of times during that whole thing. And then, uh, I left them and went to work for John Diana at Buckaroo Communications. Um, John was a notorious taskmaster, uh, when he worked at Peterson. He was a vice president. Um, he left there under questionable circumstances and started his own company. And, uh, he started it out of his garage, but what he did that was really, really interesting is, um, you know, up until that point, car magazines, a feature was two pages and a tech article was black and white and it was four to six photos per page, no more than four pages. And John made the whole magazine color. And he said, if a car is really good, we'll give it six pages in the magazine for a feature and we'll let people read about it. And tech articles can be as long as they need to be to actually show the whole story. So he really changed, uh, he changed the way car magazines were done for years because they used to be just a, you know, you could pick up car craft, you could pick up hot rod, you could pick up rod and custom. And other than the masthead and the title of the magazine, everything was pretty much, the, it was all cookie cuttered and he did away with that. So he forced all the other magazine publishers to kind of catch up and he cherry picked a lot of the very best writers in the industry and me. So I was in fantastic company.
0: How, how, what was his company called? What magazines did it represent? How long did you stay?
2: I was there for four years and his company is called Buckaroo Communications. And it was called Buckaroo because he, he, angered the wrong woman at some great big function one time and she got real mad at him and was just on the just couldn't get words out and she finally called him you you little buckaroo and <laughs> it stuck so he was a he was a, a short hidden stature kind of guy easy so. on the short nah, he, Yeah, just, really, <laughs> so.
1: so and and then where did you go from from that gig
2: Well, uh, there I was still living. in. I lived in Florida for the first two years. And then I, it's not that I saw the writing on the wall. I I figured if I ever needed to freelance, if Buckaroo went away, or I, I left Buckaroo, if I ever needed to freelance, living in Florida, that would be bad. Because there was still Dobbs Publishing down there. Although they'd been bought by Prime Media, which owned Hot Rod and everything by then. So there was, you know, there was six or eight car magazines already down there. And I thought, if I ever have to freelance right, then I'm going to be competing with these guys who are already in-house. And if I have to travel anywhere, it's eight hours just to get out of Florida. Right. So um, two years in at Buckaroo, we moved up to Georgia. And uh, I kind of chose the Atlanta area because Atlanta is a 12-hour drive from every metropolitan city east of the Mississippi, Mm -hmm. except Minneapolis or Miami. So for a 12-hour drive, I could be in Detroit to do stories, or I could be in... Louisiana to do stories, or St. Louis, or wherever. So, we ended up settling up here. Um, I worked for Buckaroo for two more years, and through that whole time, year one was one of the was the premier um, supplier for parts. Oh, yeah. For restoration parts. Right. So, I always knew those guys. I'd done a bunch of stories with them. You know, they had the Bristol Bash, and we came up here from Florida, and, you know, went on their caravan up to Bristol for a big three-day show, and we, you know done a bunch of you know like done a bunch of stories where we got parts for them you know for project cars from year one mm-hmm. and uh things kind of worked out where i ended up leaving buckaroo and i went to work for year one for three years um doing pr and press releases and magazine liaison and uh, they had a website i uh, was putting content on their website for them and then uh that went on for three years, and, and uh I decided that it'd be really nice to go back to writing full time. So I left year one and went freelance full time again. And at that point, was fully on my own. And uh, it was interesting because the the way you know everybody kept asking the you know the biggest question was you know what are you going to do about medical insurance? I was like, well, I've been year, year one's rates uh, they had some. I guess they had some people on staff that kind of drove the corporate rates up. So it was cheaper for me to get insurance for my family on my own rather than go through the company. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that's the first consideration everybody has when they go start their own business or they do whatever. So for me, it wasn't a consideration. And since I had so many contacts in the magazine industry and was an editor, I knew what they were looking for. Um, It ended up just being a turnkey, perfect fit. So I ended up getting assignments. I left, uh, I left them on Friday, and by Monday afternoon, I had half a dozen assignments. So, well, and how,
1: is, how has that whole thing changed now with the Internet about the magazines? And I mean, you still see magazines on the shelf at the grocery store, but are there many people buying them? I mean, and it's, are people still subscribing? Well, I know Bud subscribes to several car magazines. I used to get a bunch. I don't get any now i just read anything i want to on the internet
2: yeah it's i see it as sort of a niche like i guess you know linking to this industry um everybody used to have horses and in every town there was there was a you know stable and there was a couple of blacksmiths and farriers and tack and saddle guys and cars came and wiped out all of that Mm -hmm. but now there's there's still horse enthusiasts You still need farriers you still need tack and saddle people sure you still need all of that it's more of a niche industry and i think magazines could be like that Um, one of the problems as an insider it's really easy to blame the internet for magazines going away Um, in a related note uh, kindle you know everybody had kindles for a long time and they killed they they killed paperback books and everybody thought, Well, paper books are gonna go away because why would you get a paper book when you can read all of these you know, you can read everything on your one Kindle device. Yeah. Last year paperback or paper books outsold Kindle by a large margin. Really? Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. People you know people, people still wanna hold People a wanna book. hold a book, exactly. Yeah, they right. wanna flip the pages. They wanna mm-hmm. you know, you can't they they wanna read it on the airplane, they wanna read it in a waiting room or, or whatever, or at lunch.
1: Or, yeah. I feel the same way about newspapers. I still get newspapers because yeah. I want to, yeah, want to yeah. have something for my dog to pee on. Exactly, exactly. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Okay. Well, you
0: guys. Something to roll up a, and whack the dog yeah, in the nose a, with. There's a, yeah, there's a local no joke nose, about Mark. Uh, you know training your bird with the local paper. Yes. Yeah, well, okay, that's. That's right. All right. So when I first met you, I know you're doing a lot of photo shoots and stuff like that. Yeah. Now photography is a whole different world than writing. Yeah, it uh, is. You know, it's a visual deal. You yeah. Know? So, how did you how did you uh, explore photography and you know learn the techniques and all the things? Well, when you I, I took to do there?
2: when I when I was in college, um, I wrote a term paper for a class and the, the and I was a very I graduated high school, my GPA had a decimal point in front of it, um, and that's not actually a joke. Um, when I got into college, I ended on academic probation, and you know, I struggled and bounced around from 17 different majors and everything, and then I took a, you know, just a composition class that you had to take, and the woman who taught it said you know, we had to write a paper on, I don't remember exactly, an investigative paper or something. And, uh, I wrote one and she said, this is really good. You should give it to the student newspaper because what it was, was it was automotive linked. It was what to do with your, um, used motor oil. Hmm. So this was 19, let's say I graduated high school in 89. So this was early nineties. It was probably 92 or 93. Had the EPA and, started yet? Yeah? yeah, the EPA had started. Um, and I, I ended up actually being semi-responsible for the University of Toledo, um, Building their recycling program because I was all full of environment outdoorsmen and everything, but um, there was no protocol for for recycling motor oil. Mm -hmm. Like now, every shop that you know, every parts store that sells motor oil has to collect used motor oil in the back. And there was that wasn't around up there. So I did all kinds of phone calls and kept getting bounced and bounced and bounced from one local government agency all the way up to the state agencies. Oh, we kept
0: the dust down on roads. Is what we were doing with used motor oil. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, right. Well, right. this guy,
2: this guy, the at that time, the official, right in their written manual on what citizens should do with used motor oil is take it out into the country and dump it along a tree line, or a fence line. A fence line. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Along right, line. right. And uh, when I questioned the guy about that, I'm like you can't just dump used motor oil out in the fields. He's like, well, you know, go ahead and just. Hide it in a garbage bag. What's a gallon going to do? And uh-huh. send it to the landfill. So that was the headline of the article. What's a gallon going to do? And uh, so then...
0: Put it in your well and you'll find out. <laughs>
2: exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. That was the state's official, you know, and, and that just really struck me. as. And weird. what state was that? That was Ohio. That was Ohio. Okay. Yep. Right. That's pretty close uh, to West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, and to Michigan. Yeah, you go. know, what's yeah. that
1: town in Michigan with all the bad water? Uh
2: Yeah. Yeah, I remember right that now, and. actually, we were yeah we were about a, a good Flint. Yes, Flint. We were. And Sylvania was like, just maybe a nine iron, wedge uh. shot across the border. Um, so I submitted the newspaper, the article of the newspaper, the student newspaper, and they even gave it its own editorial cartoon and everything. But they left my name off of it. Hmm. So I went in the next day. I'm like, hey, I, you know, I appreciate the thing, but why'd you leave my name off? And they said, we read your last name, Ocock, and didn't think it was a real last name. I'm like, no, it is. And they're like, oh, we're really sorry. Do you have anything else? And it, as it happened, I had another article uh, or another term paper that I could submit for something. I don't remember what that one was. But I submitted that, and then uh, the girl who was in charge of the opinion pages called me up and said, you know, if you would like a regular column every week, we'll give you. If you, can, if you think you can write something every week, we'll, we'd love to have it. So I ended up working for the student newspaper. I became the opinion page editor. Um, I was there for two years, and uh, during that time is when I figured out that I could write and loved it. And uh, I wrote about you know just all kinds of stuff: school issues, and national issues. You know, just yeah,
0: but you were an activist right. to some extent.
2: A little bit. I don't know, kind of like every college kid is. But, yeah. You know. Yeah. I also. I also. You know. I remember one story, one article that I wrote. I was just fed up with people, and uh, you know. that's who read the articles Brad (laughs) yeah I know but you know when you got somebody wearing pippy long stocking stocks and their nose pierced and their hair dyed three different colors and just you know screaming for attention and you you look at them and you give them the attention and then they get upset because you're looking at them like you know and I remember this line in the article and she was like what are you staring at I'm like you you freak (laughs) and that was pretty much the you know the reply that everybody had they just laughed and you know somebody else I worked at the restaurant and they came in and it all just happened at the same, you know, like in three days and they came in and they're like, well, what, what's the stock made for this vegetable soup as a beef? And, you know, I'm a vegan and everything. And I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. And, you know, so I walked through everything like, oh, I can't have that. And I can't have dairy, so we can't have anything with cheese in it and on and on and on. And then they ordered chicken. <laughs> and I'm like, so if it's got big, if it's cute, no, 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 we have to save it. If it's ugly on the truck, you're going to the slaughterhouse. So that just, I couldn't stand that. And then, uh, you know, some other guy was on, a, uh, on an elevator and had a, you know, a bunch of pins on his jacket. One of them was meat is murder. and Or fur is murder. Fur is murder. Wearing a leather belt and other shoes. And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, so, but it was shaved yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. that's what yeah, I put yeah, in the yeah, article yeah, too yeah. It was like so if, if if you shave it and turn it inside out so it's suede that's cool but if it's leather then no 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 yeah right but, you know so that's just you know those are the kinds of things that I wrote about and it was a lot of fun so how, did, uh,
0: how did we how did we get back let's circle back around well to the
2: photography well <laughs> I figured so when I took it by that point you know and everybody kind of knew me on campus and actually, it was funny because my dad was going, getting his master's degree. So now, he'd, you know, first day of class, was, I was like, are, are, you, yeah. are you Brad Ocock? Are you related to Brad Ocock? Which was kind of a weird thing for my dad because everybody on campus knew me through my column. But I figured out through uh, the magazine article writing class that I could write for car magazines. Because up to that point, I thought I'm going to be a, a newspaper columnist. Right, yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll write that way because I was a writer. And... Uh, and when I figured out that I could actually go to work for car magazines, I was like, wow. So now I need to learn photography. And the, uh, the communications for the journalism school only had one photography class. It was black and white. And I learned a couple of good things in there, but that wasn't nearly enough. So I wanted to take all of the uh, photography classes from the art school, but they had a whole bunch of prerequisites, like you know, draft or sketching and watercolor and stuff I didn't need. At that time, the University of Toledo had a program called University College, and you could go to it if you knew what you wanted to do, but there wasn't a degreed program that fit, you could make a case for building your own program, and at the end of it, they would give you a bachelor's degree.
0: So was this the the start of trade schools? Or no, this was, not necessarily.
2: No, it was they would give you a bachelor's of arts, but it was in interdisciplinary studies. Ah, uh, okay. So, the stuff
0: that interested you.
2: Yeah, if if you could tell them, I want to take these classes, and at the end you give me a degree, and I will go get a job doing this. Yeah. With those. So, Interesting. Class. I took. Yeah. yeah. I took every single editing class because you know, they'll offer like the communications department, the journalism school offered, you know, maybe ten editing classes and you could only take four of them and then you know a fifth is an elective well i said i need to take every one of those and in the english department i need to take every single writing class that they have and then in the the art school i need to take every photography class that they have and when i'm done i've already got i'm already a writer everybody here knows me i've already got published magazine articles when i'm done i will know how to write i'll know how to edit and i'll know how to take photos better than most other people and i'll get a job working for our magazines or i'll freelance write. and they said okay it sounds good to us we're also going to make you take um, econ <sighs> I'm not a math guy right um but actually the econ class gave me gave me one thing that was very very useful so that was decent too and uh so i went through and uh at that point i was still working in the restaurants working my way through school And I figured out what I wanted to do, and 12 to 16 hours was full-time. And I'd already been in college several years past four years. And all the classes that I took would have added um, like another two and a half years to it. So then instead of taking 12 to 16 hours for the next three semesters, I took uh, 23 hours, 21 hours, and 20 hours, I think. Overachiever. Yeah, I had to get the dean of the school to sign off on it because I was taking a double yeah, course that's true, load Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And uh, actually made honor roll for all, all three of the semesters. Good for you. It was, it was just something that was, it came easy to me. Writing mm-hmm. came easy, and photography was not easy. Um, it took me three photography classes before I finally figured out the relationship between f-stop and shutter speed. and, and you know how do you, And once I figured that out, it was just all clicked.
0: So you're freelancing at this point in time. You're not with, you're not with year one. Nope. You're, you're, you're freelancing, you're writing articles. Probably wrote the most informative and confusing to me. It wasn't confusing the way it was written. It was confusing for me to, it was just so much information. LS identification article that I've ever read in my entire life. Yeah. I don't remember what magazine that was in, but oh, it was 20 LS. Odd. It's when the LS engine was first coming out, yeah. and there are so many variations of it. Yeah. And you, you made it crystal clear, even though it took me a while to take notes. It was like reading a Tom Clancy novel. Yeah, it, it, was, uh,
2: it was miserable. One, that was for Super Rod, and that was because Super Rod let us do whatever we needed to do. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. I did an article for Super Rod on chopping the top on a 50 Mercury. I didn't do the work. Um, I just followed along as the shop did it, mm-hmm. and it was 119 photos. And sure. Keep in mind, our competitors were running six photos per page for yeah. two, you know, three or four pages, and here's 119 photos. It was, you know, it was half the magazine. And I just saw that actual article referenced online on a, on a on an enthusiast website, um, maybe six or seven months ago. Hmm. And you know, I think I wrote that article almost 15 years ago.
0: Wow. So you're still writing?
2: Uh, other than sharing my opinions on uh, Facebook, now,
1: <laughs> Which you do a very good job at, too. So how My does, girlfriend
2: how, would disagree with you on that.
1: How does that link to your current position as a uh, promoter for the Northeast Georgia swap meet? Um, well, promoter, chief cook and bottle washer,
0: the inventor, all of it. Yeah. It, it wasn't another entity until you made it up, was it?
2: No, it wasn't. Um, so this sounds weird. Uh, or yeah. So far, it's all or, been very
0: normal. Well, no. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> when I was married and had a son I, and had a kid, um, I, for whatever reason, I don't know why, it just was me. Um, I, I felt like, as the husband and father, you have one job, and that's to protect the woman and child. And you protect them from hunger, you protect them from the elements, and you protect them from bad guys. And the first two require that you have a job. And that requires that you always have a plan A, you always have a plan B, and you always have the framework for a plan C. So when I moved up here, I had been going down to, you know, when I lived in Florida, there was a swap meet every month at, sure. at uh, Sumter County Fairgrounds. And I moved up here, and after a year, I kept looking at the, my wall planner going, oh, swap meets this weekend. Oh, yeah, there's not a swap meet up here. And I mentioned that to one of my friends and he's like, we'll start one. Oh yeah. Okay. I've been going to swap meets a long time. I've been going to car shows a long time. This shouldn't be too hard. So put everything together and launched the Northeast Georgia swap meet and that was always kind of my plan, plan B. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I went to work for year one, freelance writing was plan B and the swap meet was always in the background. And uh, then when I freelance wrote full time, then the swap meet was still growing and I was still you know, putting time and effort into it, and uh, that was that was now Plan B. And then uh, once the magazine article writing stopped, the swap meet became Plan A. And by that point, i you know my son was grown and out, and uh, wife was grown and out, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was me. But I still wanted the Plan B, so I started the, the Gear Jam Vintage Drags, and did that for a few years. And uh, now the, the Gear Jam is shut, but I've still got the. The, uh, swap meet and I'm also uh, making uh, vintage sway bars for 54 to 56 Buicks right now and selling those online and we're about to add uh, get 57 to 58 Cadillac to it and 54 to 56 Oldsmobile and 53 to 62 Studebaker.
0: Now did that come from you know, did that come from realizing at the swap meet that people were looking for these parts but they weren't available?
2: No, that came from me driving a 54 Buick Special every day for a year and a half when I lived in Florida and the thing wallowed through corners like a <laughs> drunken pig. Oh, <No>, all right. <laughs> so I figured with my, you know, with my contacts in the industry, I mean, all we, and I never understood why other magazine guys didn't do this. We all sat around saying, oh man, would, you know, if we could get this part or that part, we all have a list of parts that we would want to make. Yeah. And I was like, well, I have the means to, and the contacts to get these sway bars made. So I ended up, uh, I got an order of 50, and my goal was, and this was, was several years ago, several years ago, and then life happened. But I've, reconst- I've fired it back up now. But what my goal was, and this was before the internet was as, as huge as it is now. Um, so maybe, well, about eight or nine years ago, I guess. Uh, I made 50 sway bars. And my goal was to see if I could sell 25 of them a year online through enthusiast websites, not buying any advertising, not having a website, just through word of mouth. And I did. I sold out 50 of them in two years. And that told me that that's, you know, I don't, and everybody keeps saying, well, you know, there can't be that much market for it. And there isn't, you know, if there's, if there's a couple thousand, you know, if there's a couple, a couple thousand owners of 54 to 56 BOX across the whole country if you sell one part to a few thousand people you did that's right you did something you know oh, decent yeah. right so if you can find a if you can find a little niche market mm-hmm. and though the everybody else the,
0: the, the preacher looking for money for his church he said if i can just find one person with five million dollars or two with yeah you know
2: yeah and what was interesting is when i was in college i was into hiking and there was a survival guide and the guy said uh, he, he finds people who've star- lost people starved to death in the woods next to water. And he said, they're always trying to catch that really big fish to eat. And he said, put in the shallow water, they're full of little bitty fish. And you can you can catch all the little fish you want and make a nice meal. They're just small. Yeah. Well, if I can, if I can find small markets and be the only guy doing it. selling in only that market, town. Yeah, I don't have right. to sell to a million people. No. Because if you know, like the Mustang market is so, is so thin because they they Saturated, made yeah. they made millions of Mustangs, yeah. mm-hmm. and everybody wants to hot rod them or restore them. So you can buy a brand new stamped sheet metal hood in good, better, or best quality. Because, you know,
0: you can buy the whole car now. I yeah. mean, you can buy the whole shell for the car. Yeah, exactly. Put your VIN plate on it, and you your,
2: And there's there's so much competition in the market. You can buy a a chrome bumper with hardware, a stamped. Steel chrome bumper with hardware for like ninety dollars. Yeah. So you, you know the margins are incredibly thin because everybody got into that market.
0: So how long has the Northeast Georgia Swap Meet been going, and what's what's next for it?
2: Uh, I think this is my seventeenth or eighteenth year. So my son is twenty-six. We started it when he was in third grade. So whatever, it's been a while. Whatever third grade to twenty-six is. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's pretty much how I how I date all of it's my a blink of an things. eye is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So uh, we were we started it at Lanier Speedway in Braselton, across the street from Roateland, and did it there for several years, and then we sold the track or lost the track. I don't remember which. Um, and I moved it to the Atlanta Dragway, and when we moved it up there, I was still working for. I was still working for Buckaroo. And we had 35 vendors and I think 100 and some sw- spectators. Um, when we left Atlanta Dragway last year, we, had, we were averaging 250 to 300 vendors and about 1,200 spectators. So now the Atlanta Dragway has been sold, which is a whole other ball of worms. And not real happy with NHRA or the governments up there. But anyway, I'm back at uh, Linear Speedway. And we're a little bit bigger than we were when we were there the first time, so a little bit, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, so there's there is just enough room there, but we're going to have to get the guys a running start and shoehorn them into their spots, but we'll make it work. And, so,
0: uh, so what is next, not only for the swap meet, but for Brad
2: Okat? I am uh, actually later this week. I'm going to speak to a bank. And I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking at a piece of property in Livonia right now. Um, it bothers me to the core that there's no drag racing now in northeast Georgia again right Um, that really bothers me I need a place to to do the swap meet it would be very easy for me to go find you know 40 acres on my own pave it you know pave part of it leave part of it for grass for parking put up a concession stand put up a couple of nice bathrooms and just run my swap meet once a month that would be easy I'd make a decent living doing it Uh, could run a couple of car shows there a year or whatever but, again, it, it just, I, I can't sit idly by while well, there's no drag racing. Um, it's just not good for... That's
0: where it started for you? That's where it's got to... Uh, it's
2: not that it started for me, and it's not that it's my... It's not that I've always wanted to own a drag strip. It's that I love this hobby and this industry so much sure. that, you know, the, the track being gone is not good for anybody. It's not good for anybody in our hobby. It's not good for young guys who are out with... Their mustangs or their challengers or their s10 pickup trucks or They're
0: taking it to the street
2: or their mom's honda or whatever doing mm-hmm. what what everybody right. always does yeah you know and and
0: what originally started drag strips to begin with <laughs> exactly
2: exactly so it you know and, and friday night test and tune you get the the high school kids up there for you know to, to just there's nothing to do in the country what do they do they go watch they go watch friday night testing tune. um it's just It bothers me a lot that's not around, so I want to start a drag stroke. So, um, you know, it's... I'm basically... Because right now, I do the swap meet once a month, and there's a lot of prep work leading up to it, but, you know, three or four days after the swap meet, I pretty much have... You're ready again. uh, It's not that I'm ready again. It's that I can go do other stuff, like I can build a race car, or I can go hunting with my dogs, or I can do stuff until you know, several days before the next swap meet. And then, you know, there's other work involved in that, too. I've got to get my newsletter out, and I've got to get it posted on Facebook, and I have to have ads built. And, the know,
0: newsletter, stuff. folks, is, is
2: worth yes. the price of admission. It oh, is, yeah. It <laughs> is an
0: automotive <laughs> war and peace. And, and since I brought that up, yeah. how do you get the newsletter? Oh, Give us the address. So how do you get if, the newsletter?
2: Uh, you can get any information about the Northeast Georgia swap meet you want by texting me at 706 424-5035. So this is a podcast. You can go and rewind that as many times as you need to get my phone number <laughs> down. So text me your email address or uh, call me and I'll answer any questions that you got. Um, I'm also on Facebook under Northeast Georgia Swap Meet, And we've got a webpage, com, And it's got all the information there too.
0: Any, any other deep, dark secrets you want to talk uh, about?
2: Uh, Nothing that I can
0: are you are you, gl- are you glad that you initiated this uh, extension of automotive buffoon recall back absolutely
2: absolutely right. I am not real tech savvy um, so I have had my twenty six year old son explain to me how to do podcasts because he listens to podcasts all the time, which is a really interesting thing because you know twenty six and he's his whole generation is listening to podcasts, but a lot of guys my age are too, so this is awesome because we will be able to listen to, to podcasts, your podcasts, in the shop while I'm working at night. I've got uh, I've got a laptop out there that's dedicated to the shop. It runs through my, my TV. Uh, I've got, I don't have a TV in the house, but I got a big TV in the shop. In the
0: shop, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. The it's, it's
2: supposed to be, are important thing so, there, where you spend your time. Exactly. So I'm out there wrenching on stuff or tinkering on things. I will have the Bud's Garage podcast on.
0: That is so cool. Oh. We're, we're just glad you could be here. We are going to have you in occasionally as a, as a guest host, because um, we're going to mix up hosts and co-hosts and things like that, too, oh, cool. um, because Bud and Tim have other things we want to do from time I to time, understand but that. We, we think that what we do here is, is important to folks like us. Yeah, it is. It, it keeps us engaged. It keeps the network oh. going, you and know, the, you know the there's network so people.
2: There, there are so many car enthusiasts out there and there are so few really good car guy shows right there, there really are i mean the you know tv's full of of drama shows which i, I don't ever watch any of those they just seem there's really a couple of good ones there's a there's a, a couple of good
0: ones but the i think what you're saying about car guys and car people we have yet tim and i when we go to a car show and we're, we're doing, you know, live stuff or whatever it may be, I have yet to to run across a person that didn't have a car story. Yeah, right. May, they, right. May, may, they may not be a car person, but they have a car story. They have yeah. a relationship. It's like, it's like thinking back to your a time in life where you, a song, you know, defines that moment. Yeah. You know, you got a defining car. You know, it could be your grandfather's car or, you know, first time you rode in a rumble seat or whatever. So... I think we're, yeah, we're doing a service. We're well, trying
2: we anyway. We are. You know, and that makes me think about, uh, I've got a friend who, he partnered with me for the 24 Hours of Lemons race, and um, he's 28, he's got his own mechanic shop in Maysville, he's incredibly sharp, um, he went to a two-year program at Lanier, uh, but prior to that he worked at his uncle's, I think he worked at his uncle's heavy equipment garage since he was like 14 or something. Sure. You and, get the,
0: uh, you get the, the chops.
2: Yeah, and he uh, he and his his wife, their first show was the Rod Run up in Tennessee. There you go. So every year they've got to go back to that. Um,
0: let's let's bounce just briefly to the the uh, twenty four hours of lemons. Yes. Okay. And let's go back to your editorials for the newspaper, and and the the concerns about your your name. All right. Yeah. So, how did, you, how did you morph that into the, uh, it's a running gag with us that know you. okay yes. But how did you morph that into the race team?
2: Uh, okay, so, uh, the last name is Ocock. And there are, there's a, there's a whole list of names that we cannot have for our children. Can't name him Harry, can't name her Joy, can't name her Hunter, or name him Hunter, or Phil, or or anything for obvious reasons. (laughs) So uh, when guys are uh, in about seventh grade, they start making all kinds of jokes about everything. And one of the jokes with us was to put an N in front of our name. So everybody would call us that. And uh, it led to fights when I was in school. It led to fights when my dad was in school. It led to fights when his dad was in school. And uh, it was just one of those things so when my son got to be about that age i I thought about it for a second and i said you know what because you know i got the talk this is coming down the road from my dad i'm sure he got that talk from his dad so i gave my son that i'm like look fifth grade we're gonna start hearing this so the first guy that calls you that look him square in the eye and tell him his sister calls you miles and walk (laughs) away from him so he did that and by the end of seventh grade his nickname was Miles, and I had told guys that year one that, and, and my name nickname became, became Miles. Became, yes. So uh, we just, and it was funny because when he got into, so he, he decided in eighth grade that he was going to run cross country. And then when he made the transition from eighth grade to freshman year in high school, he did summer conditioning. And on the first day of high school, he you was know, a little freshman, he walked in up the stairs of the building and these football jocks all kind of parted the sea of students and came up to him and they're like hey are you Andrew Ocock and they're like yeah or he goes yeah and he said and your na- nickname is Miles and Andrew goes yeah and he goes dude that's awesome come on let's show you around and they just there so, you go. Yeah, that became so, the race wow. team's it, name. Yep. <laughs> it's Miles Elcock Racing now. So.
0: Well, Brad, it has been a, a pleasure to have you in and, uh, you know, learn a little bit not only about what your, you know, what your life was like growing up in cars and all. I think uh, I think what you went through in college and what everybody goes through in college is that the story is very similar. Oh, I'm so sure I, it I is. think, it, I, you know, even, even the non-car folks that were listening in today you know you keep plugging and you keep plugging and you end
2: up finding what you're passionate about that's it -hmm. and you find out that you can you know and there's so many people who don't know what they're passionate about yeah and there you go you know it's it's weird it's it it, i am absolutely passionate about hot rodding and, and the hobby and i'm so fortunate that i was able to stumble into it and make a living doing it
0: well Thanks for taking the time to be here with us today and, and be part of the second podcast that, that you inspired. And uh, it's just great having you here. Well, thank you for Tim, having me. Tim, any parting shots? You good? No, that was,
1: hey, Brad, I'm going to tell you what I love about going to the swap meet is there's a, just a level of comfort that you feel when you're around car people. Yeah. It's fun. I don't go to the swap meet with intentions of buying anything. But I always wind up purchasing something just because you're walking around and everybody's happy and, you know, it's just a, yeah. a comfortable car kind of place to be. That is, yeah.
2: that is my favorite thing about the swap meet is not that I make money doing it or not. My favorite thing is when I walk around and I see guys hanging out with their buddies. Yeah. And that, to me, is, is truly the best thing about doing it.
0: Well, Tim, you and I have talked enough about... Uh, LS engines being put in everything. Oh, yeah. You know, the Chevrolet LS engine. Uh, Concept One Pulley Systems mm-hmm. makes LS kits for the street, street engines, all the various combinations of LS engines that are out there, and there are a ton, mm-hmm. different generations. And then, and they make a, a uh, over-the-top system, 10-rib for these guys that are out uh, supercharging these engines. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you check out the catalog online, at conceptone.com. They have got every combination you can think of, every finish you can think of, from chrome to clear to uh, black anodized. Mm-hmm. The stuff gets your accessories where they need to be, gets them down low so they'll clear different chassis, and everything is made specifically for the LS series. It's called the LS Victory Series kits. And the prices start at the low 2000s for <laughs> one of these kits. And that includes all your components it, you don't have to go through the junkyards looking for pulleys right, and putting right. these goofy looking old-timey air conditioner compressors and stuff on right. you know, modern up your car modern up your ride with something that is built here in georgia in the usa and will fit the first time and if you've got any issues or a modification or something you want to put into your system call the guys and they will you know. They will figure it out. They build the systems. They design them and build them so they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. They're, they're not just gathering the parts and putting it in boxes. Mm-hmm. They have designed them, done the CNC work, and actually make the systems here in Georgia with all the spacers, all the bolts, all the fittings, and they can help you through the whole process. it save you
1: thousands in And it's fabricate. just so
0: well built. Yes. That is the best stuff ever. Concept one pulley systems coming georgia Tim, you know what the music's about yep it is reaction time yes it is your thoughts on uh talking with brad he's definitely been a pioneer in a lot of different ways oh Uh, yeah uh you know he's like me a scrounge hound back in the day you know going through the junkyards and you Mm -hmm. you know getting parts for our cars right and then just you know fell in love with certain cars and then you go down the rabbit hole of making parts specifically for those cars you're finding parts or Mm -hmm. you network with people and figure out you know where it's going then he gets into the photojournalism thing because he enjoys it yeah and he gets to write articles um you know do the the photography back in the day when that's how it was done right Now it's kind of all the magazines have morphed into just, you know, four or five magazines. There's not as many
1: opportunities for folks. So So he's pulled all that experience together to create the Northeast Georgia Swap Meet and make fun for everyone that goes there. That's right. And and that gig has been going
0: on for over 10 years. Right. And now he's looking for a standalone place to maybe do some, you know, drag racing, some flat track racing, some Mm -hmm. cool stuff. And still have to swap meet and have a venue for car shows and all that. This is a car guy. Oh, yeah. You know, and and it's, it's, I'd like to see more people like that that have that kind of drive. It wasn't brought about by pandemics or anything like that. It was brought about by his, his passion for cars. Sure. And I I just think it's great stuff. So Uh shout out accolades to Brad Ocock and uh, the job he's doing. And we'll have him back to uh, give us updates on things. Oh, yeah. All right. I want to get out of here by giving special thanks to all of you for tuning in to our partners, Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One, the Muscle Car Restoration folks who we're going
1: to talk about right now, Tim. Right. And they have they opened their new place yet now in Cornelia, Georgia? They have Georgia? not had the grand opening. Wow. I can't wait to see them open that up so I can go to the showroom, pick up a catalog. Look at all the stuff that they're doing. You know, they're great fabricators themselves in the cars that they build. Yeah, classic muscle car restoration parts to the nth degree. Mm -hmm.
0: Check them out at yearone.com. Now, you can also check out Bud's Garage, the radio show, on all the usual podcast platforms or the Access WDUN phone app or live stream it at WDUN AM 550 or FM 102.9 out of Gainesville, Georgia. Next week's episode will feature team member of a winning NASCAR Winston Cup team, and that would be Dan Elliott,
2: transmission
0: guru. And he is going to be with, with us for about an hour and a half, I think his, his segment was. And, uh, we're, of course, we're going to have some more informative automotive vocabulary, uh mixed in with that. So we invite you to stop by next week and join us, Bud Scratch Overdrive, the podcast. In the meantime, keep between the dishes, shiny side up. We'll see you next week, right here, Bud Scratch Overdrive. Have a great week.